1: absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's gone, Is that?
1: That's the second time it's gone off. Never on, they never go home, they never go home, they never go home,
2: those guys. Those, those and I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good
1: yeah. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
3: Waterford versus Galway. In an all-Ireland hurling final Now this, I gotta see Hello and welcome to Monday's Set and Captain's Podcast Owen Murphy and Ken here Hi guys How
1: you doing Hello there Alan? Owen
3: Galway's last win, Ken, 1988 Waterford's last win
1: and a hazard 1950 something
3: Yes correct 1959 Historically this looks like A meeting of Resistible force And movable objects <laughs> <laughs> But who cares about history Murphy it's all about the future And I want you to look Into that future And tell me which set of fans Will go more Book Ape If their team wins On September 3rd It's well, obviously Waterford Well yeah I mean It's obviously Walford, But I want you to present Some scenarios as to How crazy book Well
4: I, I, I don't know How else to put this on I mean John Malan has already said that he will ride naked on horseback down the Mall in Warford if Super. Warford win this. So, I mean, I, I, if that doesn't focus the mind of the neutral, <laughs> you know, to to figure out which team you should be supporting, does anyone need that on the national consciousness? I don't.
1: I can't think of ever having seen a naked person riding a horse.
4: Well, it goes back to Lady Godiva, doesn't it? You know? Well,
3: Vladimir, Vladimir
1: Putin's
4: mm. often half-naked. Naked from the
1: white up. Shirtless. I mean, there's a big difference between shirtless and naked. Well,
3: that this is true. Society would say shirtless. Shirtless so,
4: yeah. John Milan isn't going to, you know, stay in the minds of our youth. <sighs>
3: Luckily, everybody else will be going so crazy in Waterford that, it, that might, not even, it might pass unnoticed. It might not even look that weird.
4: No. You know, but it, there's sure, you know, in the normal run of events on a Monday, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, John Milan riding naked down a street in Waterford's going to... Raise a few eyebrows He'd have to
1: at least Daub himself in white and blue body paint
4: mm. Yeah Yeah well Yeah perhaps I mean I, I don't know That that's going to Make it any less uh, trauma- Traumatic But I mean Galway yeah, Like you know I, I don't think we have anything really to <laughs> to, to go up against John Milan Naked on a horse no. I mean I, You know I mean Galway's Cosmopolitan town You know it's known as a party town You know a lot of people have had a lot of good weekends in galway but i don't think we've anything of that of that nature no, i mean not you
3: kind of feel like galway will they'll enjoy it they'll savor for a few days Ken, and then they'll just go back and you know go to their theater and mm. traditional music whatever it is they their do craft, craft shops craft
4: shops and so on yeah dogs on strings men wearing you know caftans and stuff yeah. like that i mean you know that's that's it's part of the that's it's, it it will become part of the tapestry of the town as opposed to warford win all ireland Town explodes. International news crews. Uh, yeah, descend just, yeah. to see what exactly is going on.
3: Has the LAD made a final call? Presumably sticking with the water
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I have to say that watching the game yesterday uh, with Dad, you know, my my dedication to Team Galway, maybe it wavered a small bit. <laughs> seeing a 69-year-old man uh, celebrating wildly, uh, the opportunity for that man to see something that is, he has longed for, for many years, the last time it happened, he was 11 years old, I mean, it would take a heart of stone, I would think, to not at least waver slightly and think, well, maybe, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if Waterford were to win the All-Ireland Hurling Final, I mean, it's only natural, but if, you know, I just need to put that to the back of my mind now, like my brothers who weren't at the game were like, what the hell are you talking about,
3: (laughs) are you mental? Does your dad remember the... Yeah, he. Funny,
4: yeah. yeah, yeah. I uh, wrote in the Irish Times last year that he cycled all the way into Dungarvan for the uh, homecoming. He reminded me and said, "Well, I actually got a lift in." I mean, you know, it's nineteen fifty nine, not eighteen fifty nine. But uh, yeah, he was he was at the his his uh, teacher in National School was on the team. Oh wow! Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, he's the like the. 59 is uh, quite a big deal. So 2017 is going to be a pretty big deal as well.
3: Hey, non-World Service members, okay, this whole we're-just-going-to-hedge-our-bets-a-little-before-we-sign-up nonsense has got to stop today. Do you guys not realise what you're missing?
4: Lightning striking twice in 24 hours. I mean, that would be unthinkable. Surely... Actually, if anything, Mick was even better the second time round and I was obviously delighted with life once again. And just as we're saying goodbye, at the end of the interview, I glanced down at the machine and to my absolute fucking horror, (laughs) I noticed the red recording button was no longer on and the words card full have appeared from nowhere on the little display thingy. Card full! I was like, I didn't even know there was a damn card in the thing.
3: Yeah, it may take him a few efforts to... Get the recording right But when he gets That machine going Boy does Richie Sadler Do a good player's chair interview Old three take Sadler Yeah there's nothing like it In Irish broadcasting World broadcast today Mick McCarthy Was the man who was So patient that he Did that interview three times And eventually managed To get it out there Mick McCarthy's brilliant Last week we also had Our Whitty Island reunion show We could call it that I guess With Tyke Furlong We talked a little bit of Lions with Tyke And a lot of Whitty Island Chasing heifers around the place That kind mm. of thing That was... Taming heaven. was doing that rather than (laughs) any of us on the weekend there. It's only a bloody five or a month plus VAT. Get on to secondcaptains.com. Get yourself signed up for daily shows, unfettered access to the World Service archives and your regular hit with US Murph who is back on the show tomorrow. Usain Bolt and Mo Farah were supposed to finish up their careers with one last gold medal over the weekend but instead Bolt finished up in an injured heap on the track and Farah ended up like Tony Montana in that climactic scene in Scarface taking on all comers in this case his machine gun replaced by verbal broadsides and the enemy represented by irritating journalists rather than armed criminals so not quite the same level of violence but similar anger mm. and uh, so forth coming from <laughs> coming from O'Farr we're going to chat to Dervil O'Rourke about that a little bit later on can we get a bit of WLR commentary of the Austin Gleason Wondergold to ease us into the herding please Mark?
0: Outside of forty five, he has a man inside. As he's going to pass, what's he going to do? It takes his shot. It's a goal. Sheer brilliance by Ozzy. What a run by Ozzy Gleason. Created by Boris. Quick was on the outside.
2: But when Ozzy shows his class, the mess he upholding is Ozzy Leeson. The horror of the year was questioned last year. That's why he can
5: do
3: it. Just skill that you just. All right, Michael Dignan's in studio. Hi, Michael. How you doing, on? And Owen Kelly's here. Owen, how you doing?
2: Good, on and yourself.
3: Uh, not too bad at all. And no. Michael Dygdon. If I was you, I'd be getting onto the Irish Daily Mail because someone purporting to be you has written an article in today's paper praising the sweeper system from the from the rooftops it's after I'd, Waterford's it's identity. It's for identity. For it's identity.
5: Us. What's going on? I'll have to take the headline off it. I didn't write the headline <laughs> anyway. <over it. laughs> um, yeah, um, I wouldn't say praising the sweeper system after all, but I, you'd have to praise Waterford's performance yesterday. Um, but, you know, obviously, I've been. Critical of the sweeper system. Uh, it's not just like it's been taken, I suppose, that it's Waterford because they're left in the championship. But I would have been said, Wexford, Clare, whoever it is. And the problem I have really with it is that when you see it played like yesterday by top team with that sort of athleticism, with that sort of uh, firepower, it looks great. A lot of the time, even with this Waterford team over the years, poking a lot of aimless ball away, that type of stuff. So that's my doubt. But you'd have to say yesterday that it was a great performance by Waterford. but in reality, it was after the man was sent off that it really opened up for them. But it may have opened up for them anyway, because they're bringing on these subs. They've developed the game to another level, in my opinion, in terms of how they're playing it. And that is has about, and I think it's why maybe Derek McGrath deserves such credit. After they were beaten by Cork in the championship, they went back to the drawing board. First thing he did was he sat down that week and he brought in Owen Murphy and Fergal Hartley as two selectors. Now, when you're a man and you have your management set up and you're into your championship... That's a big call to make. That's basically saying we need a bit of help around here. Um, we need we need new blood, we need somebody to come in. Two very well respected people. They came in. And that day against Cork eleven weeks ago, I don't know what about they played. They didn't they, they more so didn't with a sweeper, they withdrew all their forwards. That Austin Leeson sort of going around as a loose man, trying to pick up ball. It didn't happen.
3: Brendan Cummins keeps saying that they were embar- that He seemed embarrassed to be playing the sweeper, like he wasn't fully sure what what way to go, and he didn't really commit to it at yeah, that time.
5: And didn't really commit forward either. there There's only one man inside, so it was a kind of a mishmash of things. It was an extraordinarily hot day. They hadn't played a match for a long time, and Cork sort of ran them off after feet. Now they ended up losing by five points. Having said all that, but um, it was a day where and I and I put my hands up. Now I said the day after. Player probably that I admire nearly more than anyone that I've ever seen. Her is Michael Brick Walsh, a brilliant midfielder for years. To go back then to play centre back and be outstanding, and now to go back up. And I thought that day that he looked like his legs were gone. And since then, he's probably scored more than he did in the last fifteen years. In he's, the last,
4: yeah, three championship goals, two of them in the last two games. Yeah,
5: incredible. And uh, uh, him and thinking Kevin Moore in particular have sort of brought that leadership. But to go back to Derek, so they went back then and they said, right, we need to go back and play this way. Very strong, defensively set-up. And after that, then, where I would have been critical, last year's Munster final against Tip, getting the ball, driving it down to Parik Maher, who destroyed him basically single-handedly. But now they're not doing that. They're working the ball out. as much, Well, sometimes they have to. They're under pressure. But they're generally trying to work the ball up the field. They're using the overlap. They're trusting men to get forward because they have the defence. So they're now using them. Brick Walsh ended up getting those goals. Kevin Moore three points in the first half yesterday. Um, the, the match-ups break on Mark Coleman, Kevin Moore, and Daryl Fitzgibbon, two 19-year-olds against the two most experienced Waterford players, uh, all that sort of stuff. And then feeding in then in the last 20 with these subs coming on and really pushing forward. And 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 I think that's where you see Jamie Barron, the goal against Kilkenny, two years. That's not accidental, that's planned. He is, he's been released into that role. Kevin Moore did it in the first half, he did it in the second half. So that's all part of a very, very well-thought-out package. And that's why Michael Dignan put his hands up this morning <laughs> and said... He was very impressed with Watford's display. <laughs> suspect.
4: Yeah, and I think as well that there there are a couple of like key factors that are different to how Watford have played over the last, uh, let's like say, 11 weeks ago and yesterday. Quality use of the ball. None of this. Well, we saw a bit of it, actually. Jake Dillon was given a couple of no-hopers. Balls like landing from 90 yards away. Him up against two cork backs. We saw almost none of it, though. Two or three, maybe, in the first half. And Kevin Moran's got a point in the second half where Jamie Barron and uh, Pork Mahoney and, was it, Barry Coughlin, the three of, them pa- three of them hand-passing a ball like three or four times to work space for Jamie Barron to thread a pass to Kevin Moore and over the bar 45 yards out, that was the difference. they use used to the ball, their confidence on the ball to not just welly it away at the first sign of trouble, to actually have a bit of pay- patience. Like, How much of that do you think is, okay, a change in style and how much of it then is the players buying into it even more so than they were maybe 11 weeks ago, and saying, just keep working at it. Don't be afraid to, you know, get caught once or twice. Over the course of the game, it'll win. get you enough space to, for us to win the game.
5: Yeah, um, I actually referenced that point that you're talking about this morning. I was on WLR for a little while this morning, and uh, that score stood out to me yesterday, that particular one, that, because... That definitely wouldn't have happened in in my view 12 months ago. I think the ball would have been driven up the field uh, to a loot. Like if you look at when Kevin Moore got that ball, if he did an overhead, there was probably five Cork defenders within 10 or 15 yards of him, but they couldn't get to him because it was a great ball, great first touch, and they're hurling the ability. To play like that, you need a lot of very good horses, and Waterford have an awful lot of good horses. Like if you just look at their bench and look at their under twenty one team last year, like there's a lot of good players throughout the squad. Um Like that was without Tyde Burke yesterday and Stephen Bennett from a squad perspective, and to be bringing on four or five subs of the standard that they did. So, I think it's, I think I do think it's a, a benefit of experience. I, I do, I just think there's a lot of confidence there at the moment, Um and it's built up gradually. I think the best you know, they got, they got the backdoor system, and sometimes when you can get in a role and get the matches, and I said that after. I think it was the afternoon. I got the impression from Watford that they were going to get better and better and better as the summer went on because of that athleticism. Like they looked dead and buried that day, but they've built on that. And I think it's a combination. I do think also that they are still prone to hitting those long wide You know, Ozzy has a few pot shots here and there, and sometimes they go over, sometimes they don't. But generally speaking, they're much tighter in terms of how they're playing.
3: Is there any chance you're giving Watford too much praise, Owen, considering that there was a sending off in the middle of all this? What were, Cork were a point up at the time, was it? When uh, did, was what,
4: yeah, Watford equalised from the free, from Cahillan's yeah. second point. But Cork then went two points up after went, that. Yeah.
2: What do you think, Owen? They, they did, they went two points up. Like, you know, so um, for the five or six minutes after Cork actually dealt with it, but I think Michael has hinted it there, like, you know I mean, it's pre-planned, we'll say. Basically, Watford, you know what I mean, they want the uh, Cork defence to suck him up the field that's what happened it was a carbon copy as it was of the extra time against Kilkenny you know Cork seemed to have one or two maybe in their defence then they were all sucked up the field had followed up their men and then they just know they have the legs in the engine to get through the likes of Jamie Barron you know I mean Ozzy Gleeson these boys running forward and like when when they take you on the overlap was on you know but I suppose Chris Joyce will be very disappointed. Um, I think you could see how animated Ant- uh, Anthony Nash was after it. He really jumped up in the, because I'd say the back pass was on and Chris Joyce didn't give it for whatever reason. And Ozzie Gleason is just so skillful. He just flicked it off him, looked up, probably knew in his own head when he's on that side of the pitch there was going to be a man, a support play option across the goal and Jamie Barron finished it. And from that moment on, Cork, you know, with a, with a couple of young players, I suppose, their, their their game plan from the puck outs was gone out the window, probably dropped the heads a small bit. And once Waterford got the, the second goal in that period of time, you know, it was only going to be one winner. But um, you know, Cork did deal with it reasonably enough for the five or six minutes after it And uh I'm sure they'll be probably maybe disappointed that they didn't actually set up different to probably counteract the space that they had left uh, at the back.
3: Did you enjoy the Austin Gleeson goal? Oh.
2: oh, it was unbelievable. Look, come here. He probably wasn't in the game there, maybe. Look, he got in a couple of hooks and blocks and controversial moment but you know, hurling wise and that once he just swivelled, took that score, his confidence up again and that was unbelievable. Like he just he backed himself. Brick was there free. You know, he would have killed him, I suppose, if he had to if he had to be dispossessed, but you know, I just stroked it in, passed off the hurl, past Anthony Nash. Look, when he does things, Austin Gleason is just you you talk about it for the season afterwards because when he does something brilliant, it's absolutely brilliant, and you, there's not too many players can do what he does. But yeah. uh the, know, point, just, the point the point
5: on before that, you know, the, 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 he didn't even work. Yeah, like from seventy eighty yards, he just he just knew where to post it. He just can just do things that I suppose very few players ever could do. Yeah. You know, and
2: even he even his flick off Chris Joyce, Michael was just a, some bit of skill. lack. you know, yeah. another fellow would give away a free there, but just flick the ball, and then he was onto like a flash. And the vision, like the, 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 the really.
5: quality of those goals, on. Like the vision to see Barron, but to pick up as well. Then like the ball over the top, and then to pick up and finish. The same with Shane Bennett's vision for the first goal to break. You know, like it, it this, these, uh, this is very, very good, intelligent hurling, you know. And uh, but least I thought the quality of, 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 of their goals was exceptional. Yeah, good intelligent
3: hurling for the most part by Austin Gleeson until <laughs> a particular yeah. moment. Murph, I know you were, you were surrounded by Waterford fans when Gleeson. When yeah, when well, they I mean, understood was, what what he did.
4: Yeah, I think it was like just at, in the immediate aftermath of the game. Uh, people the, the Waterford people that I was watching the game with and uh, was having a pint <coughs> with afterwards just it wasn't one of these situations where people were really angry at the idea that he was going to get suspended they, like they were just so annoyed at Austin Gleeson that he would get caught the way that he was caught you know like we'll move on to Con- we'll get to Connor as well in a second and like in ways maybe the Connor Gleeson one is a little easier to understand in that it's a reaction it's a split second reaction but a Waterford hurler getting caught interfering with the face guard of an opposition player after the two weeks they've had with Taig de Borka. And actually, I had forgotten, but uh, Stephen Bennett got a one-match ban for a face guard yes. incident in the Munster semi-final against Cork as well. That's three players for Waterford. For, like, just, like, this, the, the specificity of that Offense, you know, like, like you you,
5: you weren't listening to me on WLR earlier. Really, no, <laughs> no, but, but this is exactly the point <laughs> I was making. It, like, if if you go back um, on, it was it was um, what do you call your man from Ban- Banville? Was it Banville, Stephen Banville? Banville pulled the helmet off Declan Fanning, and Declan yeah. got you would have been playing on. I don't know. He got a good few stitches in the ear. That year was after Yeah, his was, yeah. was destroyed, and that's where the that's where the just to give people a little bit of of perspective. That's why why it was looked at then as an as a red card offense. You had Podge Collins then pulling uh, the face guard against uh, in two fourteen against uh, Wexford down in Wexford Park. He got the line, but since then I can't remember another incident of it. Until yeah. um, I can't remember one. Maybe there was people will come back, but this summer then Stephen Bennett clear red card, uh, Ty Burke unclear, but he got suspended. He got sent off on the recommendation of the linesman. I thought I don't think I didn't think it was deliberate. That was my own view. He was looking the other way, but the linesman had it. An, and this is what comes down to it with Austin at least, and then Aussies one, and. We had Adrian Toohey witnessed an incident last Sunday and Adrian Toohey got away because the referee, from my understanding, from what I can gather, is he didn't mention it in the report. He got a phone call and he said he had dealt with it at the time. He was happy he dealt with it. And this is what will come down to with Austin Gleason. I actually think, if to look at it retrospectively, he's no chance, right? It's a a red card offence. He pulled the helmet. But I think he's going to get away with it now. And he made up my mind that in the last few minutes because I don't think it's going to be mentioned. Because the referee, unless the referee watched it on the Sunday game last night or watched it somewhere since on, on social media. He didn't see it at the time. The linesman didn't see it at the time. He, nothing happened about it. So the referee's report goes in and there's no mention of it. Just to be clear on that, Michael, sorry, because these things always yeah. tend to get a little...
3: The referee does have to mention it. For, can, they, can the CCC not just have seen it themselves
5: on the no, TV coverage? No, see, there's, there, in my understanding, and my view of things, the, G, the referee's report carries an awful lot of weight in the G, Whether it's right or wrong. There's no sighting officer. There's no sighting commissioner like in rugby. So they can look at it and they go back and ask the referee because the referee. So the referee says then he didn't see it; it wasn't brought to his attention. There's no case on That's what happened. Now whether that's right or wrong. Now they probably can, but they'd have to get the referee. I would say to say that he was not happy that he did, that he didn't deal with it. So, you know, it's it's a it's a tough one. And uh, just a little thing on that helmet. I I would be I can't understand why anyone would catch a face guard and pull it off, a guy. But a lot of the helmets, I think, you know, a lot of them, that came off very easily yesterday, right? And I'm not saying the thing was there the intent. We saw that last night, you know, when it was shown up close. But a a lot of these helmets are modified, they're changed. There's face guards being put onto old helmets. Cooper, they're done up. They're different colors. Like I remember playing rugby 30 years ago in school, and your studs were checked before the game to make sure that they weren't sharp or jagged that you could do an injury. Uh, it's the same with Cum shields now in Gaelic football. That you know, so I think that it's high time if we're going to have that road, that the helmets are checked that they're completely. Uh, in order in working mm-hmm. order that there, that, that there's no bars taken out of them that they're not loose like Bonner's helmet came off the week before as well he got it cut it off it came off very easily he always wears it very loose Henry Shefflin used to wear sort of Tommy Walsh sent up a helmet to my young guys after Edel after died and there was only a bar and a bit in it, like, you know, sure. <laughs> You'd put a football through it, you know. So, like, that's the reality. Yeah. And I'm not trying to I make th- excuses for Ozzy I here. Think,
2: I think the word here is intent, like, mm-hmm. and that's, so I, I'm not in favour of the rule either, Michael. I, I back you 100% on this, you know what I mean? Uh, aggressively should be the big word here in this rule, like, you know what I mean? When really two guys are looking at one another and the next thing, you know I mean? They're squaring up to one another, no different than a ice hockey, and next thing they go at one another because that's deadly dangerous. That was the Declan Fanning, Stephen Banville, Instant, you know what I mean. That's how this rule has uh, came about, and and if it leads to a melee too, you know, because melee's just, you know, they become nasty enough. We'll say so. That for me should be the rule. But this intent, um, like tied the burker, no way, right? Ozzy Gleeson there yesterday. The only favourable thing for him is that he was no different than Adrian too. He, he was he was looking away. You know he was probably deliberately looking away. No different than Adrian too. He saw was there a bit of intent there? Probably yeah. But look, there's two Gleesons in the news today, and unfortunately one of them is, is not going to see the All Ireland final. And I think Austin Gleason will will get off this time. Uh, uh, as Michael said there, and you know, Conor Gleason who was very very influential yes in Cartel and uh, Connolly hand. He's probably going to be the guy that's, yeah. that's, that's probably going to suffer and and miss the other and find which is, is very disappointing.
3: I him. know on this thing of, of of looking away. I don't see what difference. I know there uh, there might be a bit of precedent there, but yeah, if, we're that, this, if we're just looking just if we're at this in an individual case, okay, he's looking the other direction, but he's a high level professional sportsman who who is very in tune with how his body works and where other people are in relation to him. Yeah, but that's and he how, grabbed that's a, the he, he, he grabbed the helmet he... off a guy's head. Like I don't see that yeah, be any clearer.
2: He did, but that's how Adrian too he got away. You know what I mean? He, you know, and, and it was mentioned in the referee's. Or, the referee had dealt with it at the time, so I think it's all going to come down, as Michael said. There, has the referee mentioned this, and has he put hand up and says, "Look, I dealt with it on the day." It should, I, it, I think there's no. That, should
3: there's no, the no that shouldn't no. be the case. That shouldn't be the case, whether but, something's or not. If, if happened, it, it, should, it, let, it should. Let's
5: call it. He pulled the helmet off and deliberately, yeah, yeah. right? That's the. That's the bottom line. He knew what he was doing. The man is too skillful not to know, right? And it was. In in I think you started more senator in the context of what happened with Tide Baker with Stephen Bennett earlier in the summer. Like it was a rush of blood. It's mad. And the Waterford people, you get you're, there's a few people on social media going mad about Eddie Brennan last night saying it was conclusive forever. But what is he supposed to say? Like that's the way it is. But the majority of Waterford people that I know and have spoken to are very angry about the, why you would do it and why would Conor Leeson do it. He did Conor Leeson's thing. And from one to ten in terms, it was a one harmless little flick. And hurling people get accused of this that we say it. But the rule the, the referee didn't see that linesman calls him back. He said there was a slap strike at a hurl, and that's it. He's gone. Patrick Corgan was sent off for nothing, as far as I could see. I don't yeah, know what that was a supposed to be. Case of mistaken identity, okay.
4: I would say. I would say so. Yeah, like K- Kingston. Yeah, K-
5: Kingston gave a bit of a jab after, but we we're accused sometimes because we played the game, and we know the physical side of it, mm-hmm. and we know there can be belts, and and we know what was the difference between a bad belt and a, a tap. Like we would consider that a flick. You wouldn't even go down, you know, with that mm-hmm. little touch, that kind of leeson. So, and and. I'd, just as referees report and I, I was involved in an incident in 98 against Clare a long time ago now but just to bring it up in the context of this
4: You wouldn't think it every time you mention anything in, in this bit on Twitter in, Yeah I know yeah but <laughs> people haven't be, yeah. no, they have forgotten they haven't forgotten
5: So but, just remind you yeah, what was your incident? Okay so we're playing Clare the second day I pulled a stroke across Davy Ford and I've always said it was just the most clear cut sending off of all time should have got the line bad stroke not proud of it and we were 10 or 11 points down and Jimmy Cooney who's a hurling man like ourselves comes in has a look at the scoreboard looks at me Thinks about it, thinks about it. I can see his face and I'm saying yes, Jimmy blah, blah 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 and pleading and he he books me. There was no cards that time. So I got away with it. The but he ho- dealt with it then, didn't he? He dealt with it on, and this is the point I'm making. The yeah. next day there was outrage, right, particularly from the Clare crowd that, you know, I got away with it. Johnny Pilkin was involved in an incident as well, where he kicked uh tripped Niall Gilligan and he got away with it as well. And there was up there was outrage. But The G.A.'s hands were tied. They could not go back and look at it retrospectively because the referee had dealt with it. He gave me a yellow card. Now this situation, was then, if he doesn't mention it Mm. and he's asked, he's dealt with it. But he hasn't dealt with it. So there's a loophole there, uh, which is probably wrong. And, you know, maybe the G.A. then have to consider in the context of this, you know, do you have somebody, like in rugby, uh, a sighting commissioner or something like that that can come back afterwards and say, we missed that. And it takes all that out of it, all that sort of nonsense that he's going to... So if James... Like it's... And the difference, I suppose, here is you said Austin Leeson is a full time prof- or a prof- professional. I know what you mean; he's a professional H- term, high level sportsman, sports yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's not DC. And the problem here is that it's a small country, and you are talking about rugby or professional games where they're getting well paid for. It. We're we know all these people; we're all we're commenting on it, like me saying Austin Leeson deliberately didn't show. Like that breaks my heart. I don't want him to miss an Ireland final over what it. I but it's nothing to do with what I say. He's the one who did it. I, re- I remember a few years ago, Owen Kelly from Waterford gave you a dig on, wasn't it, down in uh, in Turles. And I was doing commentary with Jared Canyon and I said it was get a good bit of slag on I said, I saw a Jared to Jared Canyon. I think I was like a young I saw a and it was off the ball. The referee went into the umpire. The umpire said obviously he saw it and he sent him off, but do you think I was after getting him sent off with the reaction that the ref had a, an earpiece or something for me. <laughs> yeah. Like I was in a commentary. Still,
2: look, I, I, I just hope that this incident of Oscar Lisa began will just make the GA stand up and say, Right, this rule needs to be looked at, needs to be changed. End the story because if you want to open a can of worms about, you know, even if you get uh, a guy understand that's looking and assessing all this. We'll say when it happens, how do you how do you get that going at club level? Like, you know what I'm saying? Because if it's in the rule book for for Holland It's in the rule book both in the county and club. Are you, are you talking know, about the face mask? For masks, me, it's the, a crazy the, rule from the, the, the face mask and, rule, is it? Uh, so
3: you don't think there should be a red card for a, a face mask being pulled? though?
2: <laughs> no? I think it it says intent in the Deliberate. in the rule book. But I think the word should be if a guy aggressively goes at a guy's face. So mask. hard to judge. You know, because, uh,
3: what's aggressive like, and what's not?
2: Aggressively, really grabbing it like and face to face nearly with each other like you know what I'm saying to you and you know we'll say like there was no aggressiveness in the Burkus uh, helmet issue like it was that was as harmless as you're going to get and he still served a one match ban like you know so you know look I oh, look I'm putting my hand up here I just don't want Austin Gleason missing the other in the final it's as simple as that Um and I think it would be hard done by with Adrian We getting off the week before but I do understand um, what he done. Yes, he and and he will know, and the Waters Boarders know that he was wrong with what he done. Like, but I just I think it's a crazy rule from the off, and it's only going to lead these inconsistencies and and these discussions. Like,
5: last word on this, Michael, you're about to jump in there. Yeah, look, I think. I think he's going to get off. I think that, that, see that feeling is out there that people don't want him to miss the game and and I'm, I see this point made on, on social media just yeah. because he's a great hurler and just because he's this and just because he's that but see it's not down to that. There's committees there to look at these things. There's a struct, there's a system there. It's going to be this morning the referees report lands in Crow Park. What does the referees report say? It's nothing to do with what we say here or what Owen says. We personally don't like to see players but he did it like, and he, he'll know that. Conor Leeson gave a little flick and I suppose in the context of the final Conor Leeson is a great man-marker but you have tied the bracket to come back Like if, if Conrad Leeson was available who would Waterford leave off for the final uh, probably could be Barry Coughlin the full yeah. Patrick Horgan we didn't mention here he scored 5 points from play yesterday he showed the other side with that defensive system with the 7 he was still able to give a masterclass yesterday before he got sent off for and and just on that on, on the game I actually think the second sending off had a much bigger bearing on the game than the first one because there was so much space after the last one like I don't know Waterford out, like with 12 minutes to go including injury time They hadn't scored like they didn't score for the first four or five minutes after the sending off, Mm. but then when it really opened up, when there was all that space, that's when they got the the late goal. So um, he was a massive loss as well to Cork. Own a few years
3: back, Cork kind of got to an All Ireland final out of nowhere and then went away again. Are the uh, signs much more positive for them this time around? That this is actually a a (coughs) a stepping stone. We're going to have a big few years for Cork.
2: Well, they'd have to be because they won the under seventeen All Ireland final. last Sunday week and they got into the other minor final yesterday so you know the signs are good for them. like there's some serious young hurlers on, on, on those teams I just mentioned so you know, but, um, you know, they won the monster Championship, a great monster Championship in that, but uh, look, they'll have to find, again, a couple of new players, and I think, you know, if they look at Waterford and see what Watford are up to, it's even Watford's bench coming off and making a serious difference, and you know they're playing to a system that when it's opened up the Tommy Ryan's, the Colin Dunford, all these, as you've seen in the last couple of games, they come in and out, use their legs, they run a team into the ground, so, you know, Cork have to be happy with their season, but you no, know, I think they'll be knocking around for a while, and... Uh, no, I'm happy to see him knocking around for a while. Then they, they, they've been great color too. Would you look at it up, up against seventy thousand? areas. so yeah. you know th- th- that's what we want to see. Like,
5: and we're talking about sorry, Connor. We're concentrating on Connor Leeson there and and Austin Leeson. Like, Damien Cahillan is going to be a very disappointed man. Mm. Um, this morning, like he was on a yellow, which was a was, was a yellow. He pulled a wild stroke from behind, and then the second one was arguably could have been a red. You know, for a high tackle, and why? Like a lad out in the middle of the field, no danger, not in round of goals. And and like I think it's it's hard to know. And like if he had. If he had stayed on, it, it was that was the type of game it was going to be. You know, it was going to be score for score. Cork, um, I thought, were getting into a, uh, you know. A- maybe a rhythm maybe waterford would have finished it stronger because of the bench because of their athleticism and all that type of thing but maybe they wouldn't you don't know so i think it's it's early days to be writing off this car team i think that sending off was massive and uh, and their own bench had been working fairly well during the summer as well so uh, i'd say it was much more a 50-50 game on the and the final scoreline probably doesn't tell the full story Are you excited about waterford Galway as a I, I, final pairing you look at it's it's brilliant um no disrespect to, to our great friends in Kilkenny and tipperary and <laughs> and uh, and cork um all over and come from here like well like tipperary have have only won a few all ireland since since the old days since 71 um and she introduced the helmets yeah the old line yeah, yeah yeah yeah. They had a lot of the small <laughs> hospital closed when that full back line retired all that sort of stuff with john dail and the boys. but uh, and cork but it, i suppose it's it's just a it's I, I just know what it means in a small county like Waterford and Galway are in small counties but say in Offaly when we won the All-Ireland what difference it makes to the people and to to be even in a final and like this is only Waterford's fourth ever All-Ireland senior Hurling final type here, which is is hard to believe for a county mm-hmm. of the size so they it, I think the outpouring of whoever wins it will be unbelievable um and really, from a neutral point of view, we the thing is, there's not really no loser now in terms of whoever wins it. It's a new, it's a new team. It's the end of
4: a famine as well. It's, you know. it's the end
5: of a, a massive famine, but an unbelievable famine in, in Waterford Like it's it's fifty years. So I'm I am and. And, and the difference in styles again we're going to come up against like so Galway will end up with a sweeper because of that that'll be Aidan Hart who's a very very good hurler to leave loose and that's all going to add to it uh, I see Dan Shanahan stirring it up a bit after the game yesterday saying that the Galway captain said that Walter couldn't win not earned with a sweeper uh, which David Burke said a couple of weeks ago so um, that's putting a bit of pressure back on, on the Galway lads. so um, look at all set up for a, for a great final
3: yeah absolutely brilliant stuff Michael thanks so much Owen oh, thanks a million cheers guys good luck
5: Modern-day
2: coaching—what is it all about? Paralysis by analysis, infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers, fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde woodwork, statisticians, dietitians,
0: and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us.
3: What are your early thoughts on the final itself, Murph?
0: Hmm.
4: Well, uh, Watford uh, don't have a positive winning record against many teams, many of the top-class teams in hurting. But they do have an extraordinary record against Galway. Played 10 times, including three times in the Munster Championship in the 1960s. And they have won all 10 of those games. Hmm. Um, That's a
3: somewhat surprising stat.
4: Yeah, and I mean, you know, you can pretty easily dismiss that in some ways. But in other ways, when you look back through the history of Waterford Hurling, I mean, if they were playing Cork or Kilkenny or Tipperary, you know, those counties have had historically, you know, like, just crushing records against Waterford. So, I mean, I, I, I think it is something that they can, whatever about the players themselves, the fans can certainly take a lot of heart from the fact that it's Galway and not one of the one of the big three. Um, you know, as for Galway, in a weird kind of way, even though the record against Waterford historically is bad, many Galway people have much worse memories of losing all our great Galway teams losing all our finals to Cork. Mm. Um so I think there is certainly a feeling in the background that we don't really beat Cork all that often. So I think, I, you know, this is a, a, an all-Ireland final that everyone in the country is really excited about, really happy about. And I think actually that both sets of fans are really happy that it's the other team, mm-hmm. you know, that they're playing as no well. No
3: disrespect to the other team, but yeah, it's better that it's not. Yeah, and I like, I was at the,
4: the league quarterfinal in Salt Hill in April, which actually, looking back on it now, appears to have been a bit of a... You know, like that was a marking point in the a staging post in the championship for both teams in a way that maybe we didn't fully realise at the time. That was the 2nd of April. Uh, Galway had failed to qualify out of Division 1B. Uh, if they had lost the league quarter final to basically a second string Waterford team, Waterford made seven or eight changes, nine or ten changes, so it's very much a second string team. If Galway had lost that game at home. The feeling going into January would have been unbelievably downbeat about this Galway team, as it was. They came back from ten points down. Joe Canning and David Burke were absolutely inspirational in the second half. They were ten points down after forty-four minutes and won it by three. Um, and like that was a that like that was a huge moment in Galway's season because they went on from there, won the league final. You know, exploded Tipperary season by winning that league final in a way that you know it might never have happened. Um, and for Waterford too. Having gone to the league final and then to a replay last year, I think there was, there was a real feeling. Like the reason they made all those changes was Waterford had no interest in playing any more league games, quarterfinals, semi-finals, or final. They had no interest in doing that at all. No interest in the league whatsoever. Lost that game, and you're seeing a much fresher Waterford at this stage of the year than we saw last year. Uh, and you know, as we've been talking about to the lads. I mean, Derek McGrath should take massive credit for that as well.
3: I don't really know where to start with the World Athletics Championships. Durville O'Rourke, thankfully, is here to help. Hi, Derval. How are you doing?
6: I'm good. I was hoping you guys would know where to start because I don't (laughs) know where to start either.
3: Okay, let's start with last weekend then because you were over there, you were telling us before the World Championships that it was the first first major athletics event you'd ever attended as a fan. Did you enjoy yourself?
6: Yeah, I had a really good time. Um, I actually loved it to the point where I came back and I almost tried to buy tickets straight away for world indoors which are on in Birmingham next March but I actually realized they weren't for sale yet so I must have really enjoyed it yeah no it was great it was really good I find it really entertaining I suppose I'm massive um athletics fan fan yeah that's probably the right word when I was over there because I wasn't working you know so I do I like I'm one of those people who was in the stadium on Saturday morning with thirty thousand other people like chanting for just some random Cuban girl called Rodriguez to clear 195 in the high jump and then going crazy when she did. That's the type of fan yeah. I am. I, I like I like all that stuff. So yeah, no, it's brilliant.
3: Well what about the big names? You were there for the feel good story of the opening weekend, Justin Gatlin's victory? What was the <laughs> yeah. move? What was it <laughs> like, was like re- in the stadium? That yeah. was
6: really awkward. Um yeah, I was there for that. I actually um I I, I just didn't have a good feeling about Bolt, really, for this championships. I thought I wasn't entirely sure he was in shape. I didn't think he looked very good. Um, And I was walking to the stadium, the final, with um, a guy, Paul Doyle. He's one of the agents. And he actually manages Andre de Grasse, who would have been probably the main competition. Who would have been, I think, possibly would have won it if he hadn't pulled out injured. And... um, Peter, my husband, said to Dorla, he said, Oh, I think Gatlin could have this and Dorley said, Yeah, I think so too. I'm just hoping not, but I think so. Um so I think quite a lot of people within the sport thought like he's got a really good chance. Um I didn't, I actually so it was the big story was all the booing. I didn't um didn't agree with that. I did I didn't boo. I I wasn't into it. I, I just thought it was not the right way to handle it. I don't know what the right way is. I just I just thought it was kind of idiotic in a certain sense because you're in a stadium on a Saturday night and all these people are booing a person who's obviously a two-time drug cheat and then you're in a stadium on a Sunday morning and people are being clapped that have served drug bans. It, for me, the two things don't match.
3: Yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's uh, unbelievable how the, the, the one guy gets picked out. I suppose it is because he's in part, maybe it's because it's the 100 metres and it's, the top event but it does seem like everybody channeled all, everything into into one athlete there all of their fears but just on the you mentioned Usain Bolt how you didn't think that he was in good shape and it certainly Transpired to be that way. Last night, the, his teammates were coming out and saying, "Oh, the reason he cramped up is because he uh, we were waiting so long in the call room. There were a load of medal ceremonies, and we got well. I, either he was too cold or he was over warm." In the words of <laughs> Johan Blake, w- would you would you see anything in that, or they're just making excuses for somebody who just wasn't in shape to race at the top level?
6: Um, I like, I presume everybody was in the same situation, so it certainly wasn't just the Jamaicans, I think that's kind of stupid, to be honest, overwarm I'm not even sure that's a proper description, but no, I don't think, um, I, I think he probably went a year too long, I think he probably should, have it's easy for me now, you know, sitting here to say that, but I didn't get the impression at any point this year, he was ready to race fast, um, and he just didn't. I don't know, he didn't look comfortable. He didn't look like he would, he could run that well. I'd wonder physically, like, how good his body is. He doesn't talk about injuries a massive amount, but I know he's got an ongoing back problem, and that catches up with you, like it catches up with all of us. So I uh, I think, I don't think being in the call room is any kind of major thing. I think the age, his years that he's done, and kind of you wonder motivation-wise how much he's put it into it this year. I think the IAAF were probably desperate for him to do another year, Um I'd imagine the local organising committee for London really wants him to do it. And then you have Puma, who's a big sponsor of his, who probably wants him on track for another year. But um, actually, look, he's done now. We have to move on.
0: (laughs)
3: Yeah. Uh, Mo Farah's done as well. Not a perfect end to his career either. Beaten in the 5,000 metres. And interestingly, he decided to go to war with the media afterwards. Accuses them of trying to destroy his legacy. He says, history doesn't lie. What I achieved over the years, people are proud of me. You can write what you like. The fact is I've achieved what I have from hard work, putting my balls on the line year after year and delivering for my country. Now, this is after he'd avoided talking to the media in the build-up to the championships. What do you make of
6: the P. or strategy? Desperate. Um, probably be one word. Yeah, I, I was there when he won the 10,000 and the stadium was going crazy. It's such a strange one because the atmosphere within the stadium for him winning is so different to the atmosphere outside of the stadium and the general stories that are swirling around him I don't think from the start it's been managed that well. Like, I mean, I think there's been a lot of questions and he ha- his answers haven't been not not even the correct answers, but they just haven't been good enough. Like it's I, I'm so torn the whole time on the Mofar thing. I mean, no, none of us can sit and know what's going Has he taken drugs? Has he not taken? Has he crossed the line? Has he not crossed the line? Everybody's just speculating because. Right now, there is no proof, there is no positive drug test, but obviously you have a lot of people historically who didn't have positive drug tests who have come out to be cheating. And uh, yeah, I I think, you know, is he one of the most hard done by people ever or is there something more to the story that we just don't know yet? I, I honestly, it's... Um, it's a really uncomfortable one. Like it was, it was a sort of actually, I've probably found it more uncomfortable in the stadium when people are going so mad for him. than I find the booing. I just thought, right. thought both these things are really strange situations. Um, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, does more, does more come out over the years? Like I think Mo has not handled it well. Um, his team haven't handled it well. You've said that a couple I think of times. They've put their you? head in the sand. What, what I, you do know, you mean
3: by that? Because when he comes out and says what he said yesterday, he's you know he's that's that's pretty balshy stuff. Saying that I put my balls on the line, you can write what you want. How more? What more can he have said or his team have said that would have been more definitive than that?
6: Um, I mean, one of the things that actually really struck me last weekend was that maybe from being an insider in athletics you don't get if you're not inside it is athletics is a really tiny world so especially at the top end because there aren't a huge amount of coaches there aren't a huge amount of people who perform at a certain level so there aren't a huge amount of agents everybody knows everybody it's not it's not a really big world so i think you can connect people to certain situations that is a little bit unfair i mean if it was me and if it was all you know there's been so much talk about alberto salazar about his about his methods and all this kind of stuff at a certain point you make a decision that this could actually tarnish my legacy i'm not willing to have my name tarnished i'd rather walk away and find a different way um i wonder is that something you should have considered but then the other side of that is you still have athletes who are going to alberto salazar as a coach even this year so it's you know I, i i don't know it's a strange one i think he um yeah i I, yeah i don't i just don't know i I think not having a media embargo and not doing any media coming into this Mm. definitely was problematic i think it it stoked the fire it made people go harder looking for the story whether it's there or not but also i i can see from an athlete's point of view like i did very very little media coming up to championships i'm obviously a completely different situation but he's he's more there's a story there like if it was me and someone was giving me specifics like Alberto and something that I'd be saying, right, well, what exactly do you think I've done here? Like, I don't accuse me of something like tell me exactly what this is. And like, I'd be laying everything out there. Every drug test I would ever had done, if they had, I'd want every result put out there. Like I'd want to be as transparent as possible. Um, I don't know. Is that the case here? I don't. But then again, a lot of this is opinion based. It's not based on any proof. So it's difficult. And it's just my opinion is that's what I would do if it was me. Sure.
3: but yeah, it's a strange one. It's interesting that you were in the middle of it as a fan. As you say, you were able to see the, the kind of patriotism slash jingoism of the supporters over there. You know, Michael Johnson was talking a bit about it last night about Farah and Salazar, but that was about the first time that Salazar's name appeared to crop up on their TV coverage over the whole week. Do you buy into the idea that the BBC had to be stronger, had to had to step away from the sort of fans with microphones element and actually... Analyze in a bit more clinical detail the, the Mo Farah story. Um,
6: I don't know in other sports outside of cycling, do stories get analyzed to that extent? You know, if the stories around a soccer player, would it get analyzed on match of the day or whatever to that extent? You know, what about soccer players who've missed tests or who've done that kind of thing? Um,
3: well, I I'd say it was as high profile a player playing their. You know, their final game, you'd like to think that, or in their biggest game, you'd like to think that if they do have these links to, to people who are being investigated for anti-doping practices, that there would be some sort of analysis. But it's interesting on the BBC side of it because, I, I don't know, this, a lot of this comes from an Irish point of view. I'll look at the Brits, you know, just fawning yes. over Mo Far. I wonder, would it be any different here? You obviously work in TV analysis. Would you back yourself to pose the questions on air about Irish athletes who you felt maybe were a little bit suspect?
6: See, I think in Ireland, you have a slightly different situation in that nobody has ever been that dominant, bar, well, Sonia, I guess, was pretty dominant, Um, I'm not sure, I don't remember any of the coverage back then, and obviously it was a different time, people's awareness of of doping and stuff was different, I wonder, I I, see, like, at the same, like, I I watched some of the BBC coverage, I didn't see any of it, obviously, when I was over there, and Mm. all these people were tweeting me, wanting me to talk about it, I hadn't seen it, so I couldn't tweet back, but... At times I find, yeah, the fanfare kind of annoying, but um, if you'd an Irish athlete that good, I don't, I, I think I would probably mention things, but you, it's grand for us to be on the outside and say that, like, it, I think, I thought Michael Johnson handled it well, I you know, I just think how much do you keep talking about this story, like, yeah, you need to mention it, but I don't think that's the only story. It's just... But
3: it hadn't yeah, been I, mentioned at that, but we might just play Michael Johnson, actually. we we'll just hear, hear what he had to yeah, say. Go. Yeah,
0: you know, I think that in the, the, the weeks leading up, I understand certainly you need to be focused on what you're doing. And, and, and he admitted that, you know, he gets frustrated sometimes by what he reads and the allegations. And so I think he probably did the right thing by separating himself from, you know, media and staying away and doing what he needed to do. I think what he has to realize, though, and, and I understand his point, and I can understand why he would be frustrated. There is no proof of anything at this point. that The investigation into Alberto Salazar continues. And I think his point, to, as you said, Paula, would be, hey, until you, until you find something, don't accuse me. And, and I get that, and I understand that. I think what he has to understand, though, is that with the sport being as it is right now, with all of the things that have happened, it's not enough anymore to just say, I've never tested positive, because there have been many people who have subsequently been found to be cheating. He has to understand that the media is going to take that and feel like, hey, look, you may be getting away with something. We're going to continue to investigate. And he has to understand that and say, hey, you know what? Fine, investigate it. But don't don't accuse me. Mm-hmm. That's where I draw the line. And that's what he needs to understand. And I think that he's just, he's gotten frustrated. And, and that all came out today. And it probably wasn't the best time for him to, to discuss that and to address that in the way that he did. He probably should have waited a little bit because you know, that's going to now overshadow his last race here and his last performances here over the last week. It's now about these allegations.
3: Yeah, it's funny when you hear Michael Johnson talking so even-handedly about that. I guess I would say, why not have that conversation at the start of the coverage at the start of the championships and get get it out of the way. You can't be, you know, we've had the conversation, it might be just a couple of minutes long, but we've had Michael Johnson there talking about it, rather than waiting for everything to blow up, as it did with Farris press conference, and then retrospectively address it.
6: Oh yeah, I think they definitely should have had the conversation at the start of the championships, at the start of before Mo ran the 10,000. Definitely, you know, that's a production decision though isn't it like you guys know that I just yeah I it's weird I kind of love and hate the BBC I love it because it shows loads of athlete interviews and I find that interesting but sometimes I find some of the studio analysis um hard going but then I do actually really like Michael Johnson um yeah it's an interesting one it's just the end of the day he is British you know they're it's a British broadcaster um i don 't know that you know it's it's so i think it 's really easy for people to be oh this is really black and white, but actually there's a lot of gray area and everything, and people are human and people and people sitting on that panel a lot of them would have um would know Mofar really well, you know some of them probably be involved in coaching with him and stuff so yeah are they going to say something about a person who 's never tested positive and there 's no proof against them that isn 't being investigated i don 't know you know it's it's a difficult one.
3: The Irish effort, derby didn't quite work out as planned. Our best finish was Rob Heffernan in, in eighth, which is only enough for one point on the IWF's medal table. So we're stuck at the bottom of that, unfortunately, with Moldova. Is there a reason to be concerned about that?
6: Oh, I think there's loads of reasons to yeah. be concerned. I think it's terrible. Like, I think as a nation, we are far better than that. I... I think you'd have to look at the events and look at the times that it takes, the times and the jumps and the distances that it makes to make top eight and wonder where is the problem, why we're not making top eight. Luck comes into it a tiny bit unlucky with Thomas Barrett getting sick, but he hadn't had an ideal season before that. So, you know, we still don't know what he would have done there. We'll just be guessing at that. But yeah, I I would be be concerned, certainly. I think, you know, we've a new high-performance manager, Paul McNamara, but he's inherited... Um, and a sport where I don't think the systems are that great I think when you know I retired I'm retired now three and a bit years like I don't see in certain ways I don't think a lot of things have improved I worked very much outside of the federation system if you could call it that Mm. and I'm not sure if there's a way to work inside I know Rob Heffernan has worked very much outside of it so yeah loads of concerns difficult actually to see that from Point of view of someone who would have gone to worlds and always trying to do really well, like I just think Ireland's so much better than that. I think it's um it's crappy to see I don't think it's a reflection on her ability as an athletics nation. I also think it annoys me because I think athletics has massive opportunity as a sport, like especially for females. It's something I be, actually feel quite passionately about because getting. Getting into a sport where you can become a professional athlete and you've loads of different options and the barriers to entry being quite low in terms of financially, athletics nails all that. And then when we when we don't have people performing on a world stage, then it's very hard to get that message across to to younger girls and stuff, you know. So what is the problem, though? What (laughs) is the problem? My God, see, I'm not. I'm one of these people who's a former athlete who doesn't work in the sport. I don't, I don't work in sport in Ireland. I worked in rugby um, for a couple of years and really enjoyed it. But I, there's so many problems, like not that there's so many problems, but there's so many challenges. I think it's obviously hugely competitive globally, right? Because it's such a global sport. Very few sports are as global as it. So it's hugely competitive. So you have to be doing a lot of stuff really, really well. And, I think that there's a certain mindset that goes into it. Like you have to be about high performance and that's quite a broad term, but everything's about performing at championships. Like that's, well, that's how I would have approached my career, but just because I did it that way, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way, but that's the way that I did it. So I I had no get out of jail card at a championship. You know, if I was injured coming into it, if I was injured and I was still there, that meant I had to be ready to perform. That wasn't a reason for me not to perform um injury is part of it's part of the landscape so uh, yeah I I think it's a certain mindset um is a big part I think you have to make a decision that you want to be in the sport at a certain level and you're going to have to work to that level it's not a lot of the time it's not fun it's not really that sexy it's not it's not about being on social media you know drinking cups of coffee it's actually about working your ass off all of the time for one day every year and if that day doesn't come off it should be absolutely devastating um but that's just my approach so it's easy for me to sit here and say that because that was my approach that's what worked for me it mightn't work for everybody um coaching wise i i've said it constantly we have a massive issue in coaching in ireland it's the big pink elephant in the sport you know we will pay a high performance manager a grand wage We'll pay the physios, which all these people should be paid. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but we don't pay coaches. We don't have any. We don't have any coaches that that's their job. So you're depending on volunteers to get athletes to a world class stage and perform at a world class level. I managed to do it because I had two coaches that were world class, but they were still volunteers. So when I retired, they essentially retired from that level of coaching. They walked away. So you have a big gap there now. So if you have a sprint hurdler coming through and they're looking for an option as a coach, there isn't one there, despite the fact that I would have set a certain precedence for performance on world level. So the system that I set up no longer exists because when I left, it went with me. Um, So it's just, yeah, there's just, I would say if I had to bring it down to two things, I would say mindset and coaching. But again, really simple to criticise from the outside
3: well you don't have to worry too much more uh, you might not have to worry too much longer about the coffee selfies because there's talk that water putting caffeine back on the band list so that would at <laughs> least take that problem out of the equation Durban. listen brilliant
6: stuff thanks a million <laughs> thanks a million guys first of all I'd
0: like to welcome John Delaney here today, John Delaney here today. Like to John. trying to be critical is
5: going to be impossible, to be critical, to be impossible. To
1: be building a house you build the foundations first the chimney's is the top the chimney us it's
5: international football as well to, to John Delaney
0: The pleasure, the entertainment, the organisation, the skills that you take to everybody is fantastic. But you don't have a chimney unless you've got a very strong foundation.
3: Ken, I think we better wrap things up pretty soon. You're like a caged animal over there waiting to record your football show today. Football bloody hell, Ken, as a wise man once said.
1: Pretty incredible uh, beginning to the Premier League season, right? Mm. And... The Spanish Super Cup is one of the best matches I've seen in a long time.
3: There was so much going on with the Premier League game that I, I've only been catching up in the drama from the Spanish Super Cup with some clips that you sent me on about an hour ago.
1: Well, yeah, there was a lot happening in the Premier League. Ireland crushing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Stephen Ward scoring a goal reminiscent of Pele against Czechoslovakia in the <laughs> 1970 World Cup. Um, you know, uh, Arsenal beating Leicester 4-3. Uh, Jose Mignogne defying uh, my narrative on... Oh, Picking all the little fellas, Mata, Daily Blind, Nicatorian, yeah. and uh, and these uh, this little pixie team weaving um, a very special web into in which West running Ham
4: running between the legs of West Ham United. They to the rolled,
1: rolled West Ham up into their web and basically tipped them into the canal and <laughs> four 0 Old Trafford on booming. Yeah, uh, Jose's got his men on the march. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thanks,
3: Ken. Thanks, thanks everyone. Thanks so many for listening. Take care. The storm is up.
1: That's the second time it's gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those captain. Planning for your next trip?